Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Eric Bilstadt, the final Jeopardy answer is four. Would, would, would you like to guess what the question might be? <laughs> Four. Um, uh, uh, what jersey does Brent Favre wear? No, that, not, that, that would have been great. No. Four. The, the quest, that was the answer. The question is, in about three or four minutes ago when I was talking to Scafidi, I mentioned that I went to the ball game last night and went to Miller Park. Four is the number of our listeners who felt compelled to text and say, you know it's not Miller Park <laughs> anymore. I, to which my response was, yeah, well, it's, it's, it, is, it is probably not, won't be, it's not at the first, and I'm sure it will not be the last time that I mm-hmm. end up making that mistake. But yes, it is American Family Field. And there you go. So that's, and, and yes, we all, we all know that, but I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a long time before people a- adopt that nickname, I, that that name. I think it's yeah. going to be a little while. It's going to be a learning curve. Yep, when the run of the mill fan, they hear it enough times, maybe. But you're right, it's going to be a while. Well, it's just because Miller was just so ingrained oh, sure. with the the right. brewer and it, the Miller Brewing Company and stuff yep. like that. But it, so in any event, as I was mentioning, I was at the ball game last night at American Family Field, and it was it was uh, it was a great game. First of all, regard I mean, just a great game. But I I think the Brewers did a really good job. As I was saying, Eric, I feel bad for them because. You would have had thirty plus thousand people mm-hmm. on a Monday night against Chicago. They, they had eleven thousand, and again, it was it was all. I mean, my typical seats are in the first for the first section, like the nineteenth row. They've moved us, so we're we're down the first baseline a little bit, like I think it's section one eleven, but row nine. But in in our row, it was just me and my buddy, and then two people at the other end. So there's you're, you're not around anybody you got, you got at all. Space and all. Well, it is, and all the seats are ziplock, so it's not like you can. You can sit there. I mean, they're all unless you've got a unless you're going to got a wire cutter and you're going to cut the ziplock things off. It's very defined as to where it is that you can sit. And I mean, it was it, from a safety perspective. I don't think anybody could have gone and felt uncomfortable. Yeah, they really don't. And there's, I mean, there's nobody crawl. Actually, from a comfort level. There's nobody crawling over you. I mean, you're just, you know, to, to go to the bathrooms or whatever. There was no lines at any of the concession stands. So, it, you know, it's a little bit annoying that they you can't use cash. But, you know, what now, did you do any orders ahead of time, like on your phone, or did you just go up and no, use we the just, car? we just, there was, there weren't lines. I, yeah. I mean, I, well, okay, we got there. And we went to, I think Evan got a brat, I got a hot dog, and there, there may be three people in line at that major main concession thing. It was just a couple minutes, um, so I went there, and then about the sixth inning, went to buy a beer, and just walked right up to mm. the, the bar, and there was no waiting at all, and the guy yeah. gave me a beer. So it was, there, there were no, I'm, I'm, I guess my point is, if people are concerned about, you know, safety things, there, there's absolutely no reason to be concerned at all. And I, again, it's, uh, it, one of the frustrating things though is even with only 11,000 people clearly I'd say it was 50-50 Cubs fans 50-50 uh, oh <laughs> well they were quiet last night well well no no because what well ultimately they were quiet but what happened is if you recall the Cubs took the lead right there, um, right there. Bryant hits this home run and oh yeah. my gosh you, you could really tell <laughs> then when they took the lead and I think it was in the fourth inning and they were just cheering mm-hmm. and everybody's right. high-fiving and stuff and then they were quiet after yeah, the, the sixth, sixth inning, inning right yep. they came around and then then there were a couple of them that were sort of surly as they were kind of walking out of the thing but bottom line of this is 
if you get a chance to go to some of these early games and there's tickets available, I'd actually encourage you to do it. And it was just, it was just good to go to a baseball game. I bet. I and bet. the feeling, again, I mean, you the, the crowd was loud, the, the roof was closed, so you heard the noise and stuff. It, it felt like a normal game, and there were some, like I could say, some comfort levels because you're not crammed in. So we had a good time. So going out, support the Brewers. Good. Big win. Six wins out of the first ten. They keep that up. They will do very, very well. So go attend the game at Miller Park, no American Family Field. <laughs> I know that. And, and, and maybe we can just maybe can we can we just have this like kind of asterisk that over the next you know several months when I refer to the stadium as Miller Park, you don't need to necessarily send in the note. I, I get it. I, I understand it. It's just old habits die hard. All right. Let's talk about significant stuff. If you are a regular listener of this program, you know that I am a huge proponent of vaccines. I think people getting vaccinated is the way out of this pandemic. And you are starting to see that. I mean, the numbers are showing as we get as we're approaching about 30 percent of the population that it that is um, vaccinated. You're seeing the number of covid hospitalizations among the people Older people, particularly, where the vaccines have been most available, it, it, it's it's dropping. Yes, I understand in some areas of the country you're seeing a spike in COVID numbers, but that's mostly younger people who haven't had a chance to get vaccinated. And the good news is that the, the younger people are less likely, it's not impossible, but they're less likely to have severe reactions if they get COVID, which is why the, the death totals have not spiked, which is why the hospitalization numbers, while up, aren't where they were, say, at the beginning of all this. So that that is the good news, and I attribute a lot of it to vaccinations. I'm scheduled to get my second Pfizer shot uh, tomorrow. There's an early Brewers game, so I think I'm, I am i don't have a show, so I'm scheduled to get my second Pfizer shot. As I have said before, and I'm, I'm knocking on wood here, I had, I had no adverse side effects to my, my first shot. Uh, my arm was just a little sore, but that was it. Now, that's not to say that, I, you know, tomorrow might not be a kind of a different sort of reaction. But in, in any event, I mean, I, I have no hesitation in getting this. I bring this up because the breaking vaccination news is that the Center for Disease Control has and the FDA has decided to temporarily pause administering one of the three shots that that are given. There's three vaccinations. There's the Pfizer which is you get it and one, and then you get a second shot three weeks later. That's the one I received. Moderna, which is you get the shot, and then four weeks later you get the second one. And the third one is the Johnson & Johnson shot, which is a single shot. Don't need to go back. And it's attractive to people because it's, again, um, you, you only once you get it, you're theoretically you know, protected. The efficacy rate isn't quite as high as for the other two, but it still gives you lots of protection. So what is the problem? Well, it turns out that out of over 6.8 million doses that have been administered, the FDA has found six people, women, in the age ranges of 18 to 48, who have developed a problem with blood clots, and one of those people has died. Now, it's six out of 6.8 million. There's not evidence right now 
demonstrating a causal link. By that I mean, you know, it's, yes, they, they got the Johnson & Johnson shot. Yes, they developed the blood clots. Right now, there's not evidence demonstrating necessarily causal link that it was the vaccination which, which led to the blood clots. But that's why they're taking a pause and they're investigating. Well, the headlines, should you be worried? Oh, this is going to be terrible. This is a devastating blow to trying to get people vaccinated. This is going to scare people. Look, get ready for a panic. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't think this is a basis for any degree of panic. And if you were considering you know, getting your first shot or getting a second shot, I don't believe that this is a basis to discourage you. First of all, even with the Johnson & Johnson shot, statistically, six people developing the situation, even if there's a causal link, six people out of 6.8 million, that's one in a million. That's more than one in a million. All right? That, 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 that's kind of like, gee, I'm going to walk outside and the telephone pole is going to fall over and it's going to hit me, or I'm going to be hit by a piano being dropped out of a fourth-store window. That Statistically, the chances are almost non-existent. Secondly, from a confidence perspective, I think one of the really cool things is that the government is monitoring this. Even though statistically there is no likelihood that you're going to have an adverse reaction, they're putting this on hold for a couple of days to further investigate this, to determine is there some sort of unique condition that somebody might have that would make them prone to blood clots. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I guess my message is, I, I look at these numbers today, to me there is absolutely no reason to panic. And for people who are on the fence about getting vaccinated or getting your second vaccination, if you take Pfizer or Moderna, I, I would say no reason to do this at all. So how concerned are you about this? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I I understand that this news is not necessarily good and it's the headline-breaking story. But to me, I'm a by-the-numbers guy. You, you have a handful, literally a handful, six people, and there are women between the ages of 18 and 45 who have an adverse reaction after getting the shot. Still no evidence that it's causal. And this is just the Johnson and Johnson shot. Still no evidence that the Johnson and Johnson shot led to the blood clots. But they're taking a pause for a couple of days to kind of look at this and determine whether there is somebody, if you have a certain type of unique, extremely unique medical condition, maybe you shouldn't get the J&J &J shot. Oh, okay, and, and that's, to me, it's a good sign that the government is looking into this. But the bigger picture, if anybody has had the J&J &J shot and are now freaked out about it, oh, well, okay, it, it's, it's less than a one in a million chance. I mean, seriously, it's less than a one in a million chance. Your chances of getting COVID are much, 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 much greater. So... And if you want to take a pause, you know, people have choices now when it comes to the different types of shots that are there. And if you were planning to to get the Johnson & Johnson shot because you think it's convenient and it would be nice to only have to go in once as opposed to twice, and I understand that's what the appeal is, well, maybe worst-case scenario is if you're really, really completely and totally freaked out about this, well, maybe the decision is you say, okay, well, I'll go with Moderna and Pfizer. But please, 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 I don't think this is a basis for people to come out and say, okay, I'm not going to get vaccinated now. Um, Jeff, 
Jeff, I'm sorry, but I find it completely asinine to vaccinate myself for an infection with a 99% survival rate. Just my personal opinion. Well, I guess, I, I yes, for most people, and I've been trying to make this point for a year and a half, yes, for most people, COVID is not going to kill you. There are, there are certain exceptions, but for most people, it's not. But still, if you have a chance to avoid getting sick, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, I guess that's the bigger point. What's really the downside to getting the vaccine unless you're somebody that's going to have a huge adverse reaction to that? And um, again, I, I had COVID in November got over it. I had a mild case, no long-term symptoms. But I think we all know people who have had a much tougher time with that. And do you really want to count on the fact that, gee, if you happen to get this, you're going to just be able to ride it through? Um, don't you want to do everything you can to possibly protect yourself from this? Jeff, as long as each person can decide for themselves whether or not to get the shot, I have no concerns. Well, I think that's the kind of the case. Um, Jeff, you might think there's no reason to panic, but with certain people already skeptical about these vaccines, there is going to be a panic. Well, I, I hope not. I hope not, which is, again, why you have to look at the numbers. And, and that's that's the key thing about this. You know, when the headlines are, okay, they're suspending this because you've had a handful of people with blood clots, you have to say, all right, well, what, what are the numbers? If this was if this was six people out of 100, oh, okay, maybe you, you could make the argument. If it was six out of 1,000, maybe you could make the argument. If it was six out of a million, okay, but it, it's six out of you know, 6.8 million people. The chances of you having an adverse reaction, at least statistically, it is slim to none, and slim is on a bus out of town. But again, if you've got concerns about the J&J vaccine, well, then say, okay, I want to get the Pfizer one, or I want to get the Moderna one. Jeff, I was originally going to wait and see for further information on the vaccines. The news today does not make me feel any more nervous or excited to get the shot. I still want to wait until it's fully approved, and more how more long-term information is given. Jeff, getting the vaccine is also about thinking about others and not spreading it further. Jeff, nothing reported so far would stop me from getting any of the COVID vaccines offered in the U.S. In Wisconsin, your chances of COVID uh, with COVID are 1 in 10 of getting infected, 1 in 100 of having a severe lasting problem, and 1 in 1,000 in dying. I'm not sure that those numbers are actually correct, but I'll, we'll take it for the point. Jeff, a one in a million chance of having a severe vaccine reaction sounds like a better deal for me. Jeff, I survived COVID, but I'm a long hauler with inflammation symptoms. There's a higher chance of getting a blood clot from COVID from the vaccination uh, than from the vaccination. Yeah, I, that's that's why I think it's you know important to go ahead and do that in order to protect yourself. And again, there's different options that you can have. I'm just hoping that people don't completely use this as a basis to freak out and say, we're not going to do it. And again, as I was saying earlier, I think one of the encouraging things is that the government is is being really proactive about this and saying, all right, we're going to put a pause on this. We don't know that there's any significant tie-ins here, but tell you what, we're going to put a pause for a couple days on the J&J vaccine just so we can study this further and make sure that when we tell you that the chances of you having an adverse reaction are incredibly remote, that that is accurate. Let's talk to Mark in New Berlin. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Oh, thank you for taking my call. The word the, the word that sticks out to me in this whole um, 
the whole thing you're saying is the word death. <laughs> yeah. That's what scares me. I, you know, if you said just got sick or had a blood clot and maybe had to remove a lung, maybe. But the word death. And one in a million, it sounds like a lot, but it isn't a lot. Look at that young man who bought the soda at the SA in New Berlin across from Target. He went to get a pack of cigarettes and a Red Bull, and he ended up winning the lottery for $350 million. Well, well okay, Mark, let I me mean, just stop you. As long as we're, let me just stop you. As long as we're talking death, it, it, there's only been one person that's died, so it's one in 6.8 million. <laughs> you know, I mean, six, is, six people well, with blood enough. clots, oh, one in 6.8 million. I mean, seriously, uh, more people die. The, the odds of you getting involved in a fiery crash on the highway, I'm willing to bet, are a lot greater than one in 6.8 million. So, I, I mean, I guess everybody's got to decide their own risk tolerance. But to me, you know, one in 6.8 million isn't that bad a number. But it is the word death. Yeah. What if that was your wife, sister, daughter, brother, son? I mean, it is the word death. And like I said, that fellow that bought that the Mountain Dew and pack of cigarettes in New Berlin didn't think he was going to win three hundred and fifty million dollars. Well, right. It hit. Right. Well, I you mean, know, somebody, somebody, somebody died. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, but but the, okay. But Mark, thanks. I mean, I understand somebody died. But if if that's the theory, and you say it could be your wife or your your son or your your daughter or whatever, okay. Well, if that's the theory, then we wouldn't let anybody do anything. We we wouldn't say, oh, don't don't take a shower. You can't take a shower because sometimes people slip and fall in the shower and they hit their head and they die and we certainly wouldn't let people you know go out to the grocery stores if you have to drive a car because don't you realize that sometimes people run red lights and they hit people and they kill people i mean there's always i mean just going about your daily life involves a degree of risk that that's just the reality because otherwise we, we wouldn't do anything we would just kind of sit in our basements and and hope hope that there wasn't an earthquake that, that caused the house to cave in on top of us. But that happens sometimes as well. So it's all about risk tolerance and balancing things. And my only point is, yes, if if it was my somebody close to me who was that one in 6.8 million, I would I would not be happy. But at the same time, one in 6.8 million is not not an unreasonable risk, seems to me. People have to decide for themselves, though. Back with more in a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We are going to discuss what's been going on in Minnesota over the course of the last couple of days. We're going to do that in the 1 o'clock hour of the program. And I have a number of different takes. I want to sort of we will channel the discussion to a couple of different areas because I think there's a, a number of, of legitimate questions to be asked of people on, on all sides of this situation. And I think the one thing hopefully we could all agree on is that this is, it's just, it's an unthinkable sort of tragedy. I saw the young man's parents on uh, Good Morning America today and they're, they're clearly angry and they're upset and they're unhappy and they have a number of questions and you can certainly understand that. So we're, we're going to try to break that up and discuss over the course of the, the one o'clock hour of the program. All right. There are some states that are doing relatively well when it comes to the, the spread of, of COVID. Part of that is because of vaccinations. And as we were saying earlier, one of the things we've been very successful with is in the rollout of vaccines, those who are the most vulnerable have by and large had an opportunity, not, not completely, but by and large have had an opportunity to get vaccinated. So what that means is that the people who have not yet had the opportunity to be vaccinated, if they get COVID, 
well, they're not going to want to get COVID, but the chances of them being hospitalized and or dying, which is, of course, the, the ultimate complication of COVID, are a lot less. If if a 19-year-old, otherwise healthy person gets it, yes, they can have all sorts of bad stuff, but it's not as likely as if it's a 79-year-old obese person with diabetes and a number of other you know health situations. The chances are, statistically, again, that the 19-year-old is going to come through this much, much better. So even though you've had some states that have had spikes, that the hospitalization numbers, while they have gone up in some places, haven't gone up at the rate that they were, say, like last summer or things like that, or during the first or the second surge. Nevertheless, that the surges are, are, I think, you know, something that gives people pause. In addition, it's tough to figure out what is really driving the surge. As I mentioned yesterday, Texas, which in the middle of March decided that they were going to just, they're going to open up the state. Local communities could still have their rules, but they dropped the statewide mask mandate. They dropped statewide limits on, on gatherings and things like that. And while some states have had an explosion in the number of COVID cases, Texas is not one of them. So it makes you wonder whether the restrictions are are what's really going on here, or is there something else? Well, Michigan is one of the handful of states. Michigan is one of the five states that's responsible for about 45% of the COVID cases. And in 16, let's see, 16 out of the 17, you know, urban communities in uh, metro, in their metro areas, their metro areas include 16 of the 17 worst outbreaks in the nation. So Michigan is a complete and total mess. The CDC and the president are pushing the Democratic governor of Michigan, who's very, very controversial, they're pushing her to lock down the state again. And she's been pushing back. She's been saying, no, I I don't think that's the way to go. I don't think lockdowns are in order. There's also a practical problem because Republicans control the legislature, and, and I don't think there's going to be any political traction for that lockdown. What the governor is saying is that we need more vaccines. And she's appealing to the president saying, look, I... We, we, we've got a crisis here, and we're, we don't have enough vaccine, and what we need you, federal government, to do is we need you to get us more. And maybe what that means is, since we're in the middle of a crisis and since there are other places that aren't, what we need you to do is we need you to do some triage. We need you to say, all right, maybe you know we've got X amount of doses that were scheduled to go to some place where COVID is relatively tame. We need you to temporarily divert that, get it up to us so that we can get more shots in arms. The Biden administration is saying, no, we're, we're not going to do that. We don't want to be accused of, of playing favorites. We don't want to be accused of discriminating against Nebraska um, in, in favor of, of Michigan. And you're going to have to figure out other ways to deal with it. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I look at this. First of all, I have a two-pronged approach. First of all, I don't think lockdowns are the answer. I've really always been skeptical about lockdowns. But in, in 2021, in April, 
in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Illinois, etc. The idea that you're going to try to close down the state again, it, it's just, it's not going to happen. And by the way, when we closed down various states last year, it didn't stop this from spreading. To me, the, the answer is you, you've got to get more vaccines and you've got to get them out there quick, more quickly. And if you've got a situation where COVID is relatively under control in some places, why wouldn't you do triage? Why wouldn't you send more vaccine to Michigan so they can get more people, um, more shots in their arms? To me, that, that only makes sense. It's kind of like saying, okay, in, in Wisconsin, if we have a huge problem with COVID in the city of Milwaukee, just for the, the sake of argument, let, let's say there's a huge outbreak in the city of Milwaukee, or there's a huge outbreak in Green Bay, or, or pick whatever city there is, and there is a shortage of vaccine in that particular area, well, I don't see anything wrong with saying, okay, temporarily, we're we're going to go where the problem is, and we're going to try to put out the fire instead of letting the fire burn. Why wouldn't you try to get more vaccine in the areas where it is most needed? 855-616-1620. That's the Iconet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Never thought I'd say this, but I think the governor of Michigan is absolutely right in this regard. You can't shut down the state, and what you need is you need to get more vaccine. And if that means you take it from some place where there's less need, that's what you do in order to stop the problem. 855-616-1620. What do you think? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. I mean, am I missing something? The, the governor of Michigan, and Michigan has a huge outbreak, probably probably the worst COVID outbreak right now in the country, if you look at the metropolitan areas per capita. And the governor is saying, look, I, I'm not going to shut down the state again, but I, I need more vaccine. We don't have enough vaccine. The Biden administration is saying, no, we're, we're not going to divert vaccine from other places. To me, that makes absolutely no sense. Is there is there something different that would do? If the Michigan governor is wrong in asking for more vaccine, what what if if she's wrong in doing that? What would you do instead? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. And and by the way, I think I'm being extremely consistent when I take this position. I, I've always believed that you have to do triage, and I believe one size doesn't necessarily fit all. Remember, at the beginning of COVID, you had some areas of the state of Wisconsin that that was huge outbreaks. And you had others that there weren't. And you had Governor Tony Evers who came out with like one size fits all sort of policies to treat Bayfield County differently than you treat Green Bay, differently than you treat Milwaukee. I always opposed that. I said you have to tailor responses to where the needs are and the different things. And this is to me, it's the same sort of idea, this idea that, okay, you, you've got an outbreak here. This, this fire is burning. All right. That you've got the building is on fire here. All right, we've got fire trucks that are 20 miles away. Do we save those fire trucks in the off chance that some other building might burn 20 miles away? Or do we get them out on the street, get them over, and help put out that first burning building? To me, that that's what you do. And keep in mind, you look around, for example, just take Milwaukee. You, you've got you've got all these shots. They've, they've got all these shots that are going wasted. And I don't mean that they're spoiling, but they've got all these availabilities. They're trying to do everything they can to get people to come in and get the vaccines. Why? 
why don't we temporarily, if that's the case, why don't we look at saying, okay, let's send some of this across the pond, let's help out Michigan, and then, you know, get back to normal. And I'm not saying don't give shots in Wisconsin. Obviously, you won't ever get everybody taken care of, but don't we need to go where the problem is worst? Vincent on the northwest side. Hi, Vincent. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I, I disagree with you on this. Uh, I understand triage works when people are accepting the triage. The fact is, on, uh, on NBC Nightly News, they did an interview with clinics in Michigan, and they say they have enough vaccine, but people aren't coming to get the shots. So it, it's just like Wisconsin, uh, 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 Minnesota, and, and Illinois. People are not coming to the clinics and getting shots. They have, they have, they said they have appointments that are open and 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 they've opened the appointments and but people are not coming to get the shots. So I don't care if you put a boatload of uh, of vaccines in, into Michigan. It doesn't matter if people aren't going to come get the shots, especially in 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 in, in the urban urban areas. So 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 the fact is there has to be another avenue that Michigan the Michigan uh, legislature and governor has to take because the fact is until they get in control they're getting the same number of shots as any other state yeah, but, but they have but they have worse problems I guess I mean I don't know what interview you saw on on NBC nightly news all, all I know is the governor and the Republican leader in the legislature and the Democrat leader, they've all been begging Biden for more doses in several letters going back to last week because they say they don't have enough to deal with the overall demand. Now, obviously, you, it, maybe it's true in certain areas that you've got the, the vaccine hesitancy, which I don't get, but I guess it's out there. But what, what would your answer be then? What, what do you do if it's not getting more vaccines out there? Well, first of all, I think you need to you need to shut down. You do need to shut down the state. You need to you need to figure out how to where this virus why this virus is is, is taking such a toll on, on on Michigan. The fact is that they continue to have beds beds bed bed problems in hospitals. They need to figure out first stop stop to stop the train and figure out how they can stop this virus from 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 increasing. But the fact is, is that if you if you continue to run shots in there, and again people aren't, aren't taking the shots, then 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 you have a problem. And so and when you look at the number of even in urban areas, especially in Milwaukee, even in Michigan, the fact is you're looking at ten to fifteen to twenty percent of individuals have taken a shot. It, it, it's unbelievable. So 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 you can't continue to put shots in there and 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 uh, not do something else. It well, just doesn't make any sense. Well, Vincent, I guess I guess where where we disagree is the underlying facts because your your assumption is that there's no shortage of vaccine in Michigan, and all all I can tell you is that that's not what the Michigan officials are are saying. Now, I'm, again, I'm sure there's some degree of a vaccine hesitancy that is out there and i'm sure that you can find certain areas and certain clinics where they're going to waste but but the position at least that the government is taking and this is the republicans and the democrats is that they don't have enough availability as far as shutting shutting it down well how do you put the genie back in the bottle what are you going to do? close all the businesses close all the schools go back to where you were a year ago I, I just don't think that there's I don't think there's the political will for that I don't think there's the that will create huge economic devastation so it seems to me that the, the only way that you really deal with this is you have to try to vaccinate your way out of it and in order to vaccinate your way out of it you have to make sure that 
anybody who wants one without having to jump through too many hoops can end up getting what that vaccination is. Again, as far as locking down the state, well, I, I think you can make a strong argument that lockdowns didn't work anyhow. You look at California, for example, which for the longest time, had just incredible lockdowns. I mean, California was one of the most restricted states in the country. It still is to an extent. And and California has had huge outbreaks. New York being the same way. I mean, other to to, to simply suggest that, okay, we, we can lock down our way out of it and we can go back to where we were nine months ago, even if you can get people to accept it and even if you can figure out a way for that to be enforced, I don't know that there's any guarantee that that's going to work. Now, there is something... I think obviously unique that is going on in Michigan, and maybe you're on to some of it, maybe in some of these metro areas there is this vaccine hesitancy that is out there. You need to figure out a way to overcome it. But but lockdowns, like I say, look at the example of Texas. Texas, which pretty much did away with all their restrictions, Texas is not one where you've got the outbreak. So the, the relationship between lockdowns and the outbreak doesn't seem to me to be extremely great there. Um, so I think what you have to do is is figure out. Jeff, there's only a limited supply of vaccine. Um, this would be different if vaccine was unlimited. Well, that's my point. There is a limited supply of the vaccine. So you, you have to, to figure out what triage is. And so the question becomes, do you send that vaccine to the areas that need it the most or... Do you simply say, okay, well, we're, we're going to distribute this, this evenly? And, I mean, right now, it, it's a political decision. Let's be honest here. Joe Biden doesn't want to be accused of saying, okay, you're, you're playing favorites. You're taking, you're taking vaccine that was designated for a, a red state, and you're sending it to a blue state to bail them out. So Biden, Biden has this political concern that's there. For me, I, I, I'm all about let's follow the science. And assuming for the sake of argument, and again, I understand our caller's point, but assuming for the sake of argument that the governor of Michigan is right, and and I think the Biden administration is right, too, they understand that there is a shortage of vaccine availability in Michigan. I don't really know that too many people suggest that that's not the case. So Biden just doesn't want to take the heat from diverting some to a state. To me, it seems you've got to go put out the fire. When we come back, let's switch gears. I want to talk about what's been going on in Minnesota over the last couple of days, and I want to talk about it from a couple of different perspectives. My guess is that all of you will, will agree with me on some of the things I'm going to say and will probably disagree with me on others that I say. That's what makes it an interesting conversation. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Right, th- this this hour needs to come with the equivalent of like one of those those parental guidance warnings that you find for certain television shows. In the course of this hour, and we're going to talk about various aspects of what's going on in Minneapolis. My guess is I will infuriate some of you. On, on some issues, and you'll agree with me on others, and vice versa. So that that is the warning. Let us start. We we spent some time yesterday talking about the reaction to the shooting uh, among the the protesters that turned into rioters. Now it is sort of frustrating why the mainstream media, in covering certain aspects of the protest, won't describe them as riots. It is incredibly frustrating in this regard that what happened at the Capitol in January was a riot. There, there's just no question about it, and. 
people in the media had no problem labeling it as a riot. What happened in Minneapolis, first of all, more likely two nights ago, but last night to an extent, was was it was a riot in certain regards. Uh, Walmart's looted. You know, it, the story about Walmart was uh, people broke into Walmart and stole every big screen TV they could find. Okay, that, that is a riot that is looting. That is not protest. People broke into a footlocker and stole everything they could. People broke into a series of restaurants, stole everything they could, hit the cash register, did all that sort of stuff. And, and yet we have this reluctance to describe as a riot because it starts as a social justice protest and heaven forbid that we can label any of the people who are engaging in that protest as as looters or vandals or rioters. And and the truth is, yeah, that some of them were. Not saying that everybody was motivated by that, but yes, that that's that is one of the failures of the media that it doesn't have the guts to essentially call what is going on at least in some aspects of it what what it really is, which is a riot. And it, yesterday when we discussed it, I got a couple texts from people saying, "Well, what's the big deal?" I mean, don't a young man lost his life. What what's what are a few TVs? What are a few buildings? What 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 is that in conjunction with the the life? And I mean, I look and as we will talk about later on that this what happened was awful, and I think it raises a number of legitimate questions. But at the same time, to then say, well, okay, because. You know, somebody died under these circumstances at the hands of the police. That then justifies going to loot the Walmart and burning down buildings and things. I, I'm I'm sorry. It's it's not a moral equivalency. They are two, in my opinion, different things. You can condemn what happened and the death of the young man, but if then you're going to say, okay, well, we, we shouldn't care about what happens in the aftermath, and we shouldn't care about people whose businesses are broken into. Inter- interesting. I received um, a note from. Guy who a person who works in the insurance industry, and they were saying they're already getting the claims from you know the, the destruction in Minneapolis. You break into a restaurant, for example, yet you steal the cash registers. I mean that, that's you, we all end up paying for that in the form of like higher insurance premiums and things like that. And again, you might say, oh, that just pales in comparison with the death. Well, it, they're they're different sort of things, and you have to analyze each one independently. So I, I think first of all, I think we should all agree that the the riots and the violence that happened in the aftermath of this is wrong. And it, it needs to be addressed, and the people who did it need to be prosecuted. And this idea that, oh, we're outraged about what happened is not a justification. Okay, so that's issue number one. Now let's talk about issue number two. Should the police have not escalated the situation? Here's this the background. Dante Wright driving his car 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. He gets pulled over. The police say he got pulled over because of expired tags. Right? That's what they say. They run the plates, and it comes back that he has an outstanding warrant for a misdemeanor. Um, it's a failure to appear on a carrying a firearm charge. Carrying a gun without a, a permit, he failed to appear. So there's a warrant out for his arrest. That comes back when they run the plates. So the police go up, they approach the car, they get him out of the vehicle. Get him out of the vehicle, and because there is an outstanding warrant for him, they are taking him into custody. He then decides that he's going to take off. And instead of instead of complying, he just he gets his tries to get back into the car, and then you have the police officer who 
thinks that she has a taser in her hand and instead has her gun. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on, I guarantee you. But she goes to tase him. That was what her intent was, not realizing she has her gun, not her taser. She fires a shot and the shot ends up hitting him in the chest. He drives off and, you know, is dead. The car crashes a couple. uh, He ultimately loses his life. Car crashes a couple blocks later. Okay, so that's that is the background on this. Here's a column in the Chicago Tribune today. Dante Wright was unarmed. Wouldn't letting him go have been better than killing him? And the point of the columnist is, look, this is a guy who, who did not have a gun. He was wanted for a misdemeanor. When he tried to flee, when he tried to get away, instead of escalating the situation and even instead of tasing him, which is what the officer apparently thought she was doing, she was wrong. Again, we'll talk about that later. But the point of the columnist and the point of a couple other things I'm seeing, people are suggesting they should have just let him drive away. He wasn't a violent criminal. He wasn't wanted for bank robbery or murder. It was a misdemeanor warrant for failure to appear on a carrying a firearm without a permit charge. So it's not like this guy was believed to be some violent criminal. The argument was, and the argument is, by the police trying to take him into custody, they should have just let him drive away. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't see how you can take this position. I mean, I think police, and again, we're going to talk in a little bit about training, and we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what happened here and, and how this led to this and what the consequences need to be. But if somebody is subject to being legitimately arrested. And in this case, there was a valid warrant out for his arrest. And he makes the decision that he is going to try to avoid arrest and take off. Right? If he makes that decision, I don't see how the police can just let him go. I don't see how the police can simply say, all right, and forget Dante Wright, all right? Let's look at the big picture. Police come upon somebody. There's an outstanding warrant for that person's arrest, and they decide that they, they don't want to comply. They, they want to take off. I just don't think that we're at a point in our society where you can just let people drive off. Now, again, that's that's not justifying shooting somebody or anything like that, but it's the the reaction. Do you do you take the man into custody? Do you try to use reasonable force to take a guy who doesn't want to be taken into custody into custody? Or do you simply say, well, he doesn't have a gun on him. We'll try to catch him sometime later. And I don't think you can let people decide for themselves when they're going to be arrested and when they can't. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Jeff, if they let him go and he crashed and killed someone else, they would have been, the cops would have been blamed for that too. It's a lose-lose situation for the police. Yeah, that, I guess my perspective on this is that you, you can't, within reason, allow the, the bad guys to dictate 
what what laws get enforced and what don't. And I, by bad guys, I'm talking in general terms. I'm not specifically talking about the young man that was shot in in what is clearly a, a tragic mistake that may in, well involve criminal activity, but uh, criminal activity and charges against the the officer that was involved. But I'm, I'm talking about when the police make a stop and you find out that there's an outstanding arrest warrant for somebody, and that person then decides that they, they don't want to be arrested. Well, the idea that you're just going to let them get back in the car and drive off, to me, I, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. You, you can't allow, and then, oh, we'll catch them somewhere down the line. Now, I think it is fair to say, all right, how much, is re- how much force can you use and things like that, and there's a lot there's a lot of questions they ask about this particular encounter, but the notion that just as a general rule, the police should not escalate situations and should just let people for whom there are outstanding arrest warrants drive off. I'm sorry, do you really want to live in that society? Does anybody want to live in that type of society? Okay, let's start with Bob in Greenfield. Bob, you're first. Hello. Hi, Jeff. I, I, that's just It's crazy that anybody could take that position. I mean... Like you're uh, someone that texted in and said, you know, they could drive away and cause an accident. You know, you'd be encouraging people to try to um, break away from police and get in their car and drive away. I mean, as far as the officer um, shooting the person, I mean, she had a split second to react to what he was doing. I mean, whether she was reaching for a taser or not, once you have the gun out, you can't reholster the gun and then grab your taser because they might have a weapon. I mean, the whole thing is just ridiculous. Well, I mean, you have to listen to the police. If they arrest you, you have to listen to them. Well, Bob, I mean, I'm with you so far. I'm with you up to a point. Now, we're going to talk about the, the police officer's conduct in a couple minutes. Um, but, but up until then, I mean, I think police now you're you're not legally entitled if he had gotten in the car and they had started shooting when he's driving off that's wrong you're not entitled to use deadly force in a situation like that but but the idea that somebody doesn't want to get arrested and so they they step back into the car and they try to drive off and you should just let them go on the chance that you're going to catch them later we tried a version of that in, in milwaukee for about five years under police chief ed flynn and mayor tom barrett when the instructions were, for all intents and purposes, Milwaukee police don't chase people. And and, and the, the criminals learned, they, they knew about that policy. And that's why you had people driving stolen cars and rolling drug cars and things like that. And the police would see them and they'd just take off. And they'd kind of laugh at the cops. And, and we, we saw what happened and it wasn't it wasn't good. So I think t- to say that police shouldn't shouldn't try to control situations. And when you come upon somebody that's got an outstanding warrant and a couple of people saying, what was the warrant for? And my under, my understanding is he had been had a misdemeanor citation. It was a misdemeanor for carrying a gun without a permit, not a felon in possession or anything like that. Carrying a gun without a permit, he failed to appear in court. So they issued an arrest warrant for him. That that's what the circumstances were. So I guess on the one hand, you can say, all right, it's it's not like you're dealing with an axe murderer. It's not like you're dealing with somebody who's wanted for, for murder. You're dealing with somebody who didn't show up in court on a, he, he didn't have a permit for a handgun thing, and does he deserve to die? And the answer would be, of course not. I, there, there's no justification for what happened there. But what, what are the cops supposed to do under these circumstances? Let's talk to Mel in Brown Deer. Mel, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Uh, you know, I'm kind of aligned with what you're saying, but actually somewhat not. 
What is the reason that that person is fleeing, and when do you use force? I'm in front of the a dollar store. If a guy runs out with a couple loaves of bread, it's still, do we shoot him in the back? Is this Bonnie and Clyde where every criminal... Well, well, the answer to that is no. The, the, the answer to that is no. You, you don't use deadly force under that circumstance, period, case closed. So that's not the answer. But, but let, let's, let, let's talk, let's talk about the. In Kenosha. Well, let, let's talk, let's, let's use your example, but let's not say it's a gun. Let, let's say, let's say it's, it's a, a taser. There's a, a fight in that dollar store. And uh, there's a dis- disturbance or whatever, or there's a fight. Somebody calls the police. The police come. They go to arrest one of the people, and that person decides to struggle, tries to break away. Do you just let him run away, or do you pull out your taser and try to restrain him? And wh- what do you do? Well, of course you tase him. Now, here's the the, the word in the community is that uh, that was false. That was an answer that she shot him. And and there was no mistake with the taser. It was uh, uh, it was a direct shooting, and the concept was a cover up that came from the chief and from her that she uh, picked right. up her gun instead of a taser. The community, black community, is not really right. hearing believing that right now. They they think that that was a cover up part. Right. And, uh, okay, well, and Mel, and I guess my response, right, I mean, thanks, Nicole. Okay, look, my response to that would be, if, I, I, I mean, I've, I've watched that, that video and the circumstances multiple times. I, I have it, I find it hard to believe that this police officer with 26 years of experience or however many years of experience just decided that this is the time and I'm and this is the circumstance that I'm going to you know execute a 20-year-old guy. I, I find that difficult to believe. I, I think it's an inexplicable mistake. But but all right, even even taking that analysis, if this really was the police chief and, and she decided that okay we're we're going to do this this execution, well that's a whole different story. Well then of course uh, then then you're talking about a much different criminal charge and a much different issue. I'm just talking about in the day-to-day circumstances, when you come across somebody, white, black, brown, take the color out of this, and you're the police officer, you, you've made the stop of the car, turns out this, if and again, you can maybe argue about whether is it a legitimate stop or not, but you've got somebody, hey, I, I've got a warrant for Jeff Wagner. This, this is the guy. He failed to show up. I've got an arrest warrant. He doesn't want to be arrested on a Sunday afternoon. He's trying to get back in his car and drive away. Do you just let him do that, or do you try to take reasonable measures to stop him? Now, obviously, shooting somebody in the chest is not a reasonable measure. Nobody would suggest that, but th- these are the issues that you got to grapple with. Lamar, who is calling us from Orlando. Hi, Lamar. Hey, uh, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, so, so here's here's the issue um, and where I disagree with you with, with you on. There, first of all, there is a per, there is a perception, uh, you know, of, in the black community that, that police, you know, are for us. And there have been countless countless incidents in which the police, no matter what we do, escalate the situation unnecessarily. And we don't see that with other with other races, specifically whites. We don't see that, and that's the issue here. Now, this is an unfortunate situation for this officer um, that, that made a move, and, and you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I believe it was a mistake, a pure mistake. I don't think that she intended to kill this kill this this kid, but you know, it, that, that that's the issue though. The issue that is that they tend to escalate things when it's people of color. Look at the the, the lieutenant, the army lieutenant. 
That was totally unnecessary. And that's way too common for us to just say, you know, obey. And that's another thing that I hate when people say, obey. Having well, how would you have handled this, Lamar? Okay, let's say let's say you are you are that police officer. You're, you're not you're not the woman, but you're you're the you're the guy. You you you, you come upon the car, you run the plates. Turns out the licenses, the registrations expired. Routine sort of thing. You, you pull it over, and you know you go out. You find out who this is. You run his name. Turns out he's got a warrant for his arrest. Okay, now Lamar, you are the officer. Where do you go with that from there? The, considering the warrant was for something, if, if, if it, this is not a violent criminal we're talking about here, if failure, if uh, same same circumstance, that, failure to appear he on a failure to appear on a possession of a gun charge. What do you do? It, well, per, I, I'm not. I'm going to. I'm not going to pull. I'm not going to draw my weapon in that situation. If he's a nonviolent criminal, I can catch him later. Okay. He's so, no. He does not serve. He does not have an immediate threat. And, if, and to make the 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 leap that he could go and run it over and kill somebody. Yeah. Is it, that's a leap. He's not. There's no. There's no evidence that he's a violent criminal. Okay, so you he's get it. All right. So I'm just. I'm just. I'm, walk, I'm walking. Walking you through this. Okay. So you get out okay. of. Your, it's, it's Officer Lamar. You go up and mm-hmm. and and you you now find out he's got an outstanding warrant for his arrest. You have him there. You get him out of the car, and you you're you're getting ready to put the handcuffs on him or whatever. He decides he doesn't want to be handcuffed. He pulls away, jumps in the car, and gets ready to drive off. You're going to let him drive off. No, I'm, I'll probably chase him at that point, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pull my weapon. I'll probably chase him at that point. Right. And if, but it, but again, total, totality of circumstances, kind of like the officer shooting in a crowd. I, if I if if it's, it's if it's dangerous to himself or myself at that point, I'm gonna have to let him go unless unless he's a proven. Yeah. Proven that he's a violent criminal. That's a different conversation, right? I no, I, I agree with you that's completely. What, that's why I'm making my judgment. No, thanks, thanks for call. And and I, I mean, I, I agree with you completely. Now, I mean, it, her story is she, she she wasn't trying to shoot him with the gun. She was trying to hit him with the taser, which is the way they restrain people. I mean, I, I raise this issue, and, and Lamar. By the way, I'm not completely discounting th- this this idea, whether it's a perception or a reality, that you, people, young young men, particularly young black men, are treated differently than like a middle-aged white guy. Now, the, the flip side of this is, if if they pull over, if you pull me over, all right. And this is the advice I always give. It, it is, you know, you it is kind of comply. Okay, here's my license. Oh, you know, we've got a problem. You know, there's this outstanding warrant for your arrest. Well, I think, I mean, the if you if you don't escalate it, you don't have this particular problem. I guess the bottom line is, I just don't think you can let people drive off. I think you have to take reasonable efforts to try to bring them into custody without unnecessarily endangering yourself, them, and certainly others. Okay, when we come back, I want to talk about the flip side of this, which is, how in the world could it have happened? Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. Um, Jeff, I know the subject is over, but if the Minnesota police officer successfully deploys a taser, we're not even having this conversation. It's a god-awful mistake, but maybe not much more than that. Here's another text. Uh, Jeff, I'm a 51-year-old black man. This case, as with the shooting in Kenosha, can police who outnumber an unarmed person not simply go old school and and beat the crap out of a suspect with their batons? I I think it's tongue-in-cheek, but it it does raise what I think is the other question here. And this, I want to talk about the other aspect of, of this, which is how can something like this, this happen? 
the the story and I understand we had one of our callers who said, well, you know, there's these rumors that this was that this officer was, you know, that this was a planned execution of, of the man. And I, I, I'm sorry, I just that that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I mean, what I think happened is is something that, that happened, which is a mistake. The officer, her name is Kim Potter. She's been on the force for 26 years. She first got her police license when she was 22 years old. She is a career officer. She is not an officer that has had like any sort of red flag. She was involved in an entire 20-some year career. She was involved in, in one shooting incident. She served as the union president here. She was a training officer. So you're in this situation where she was actually, she had a trainee with her. A lot of times when you have these situations, it, it turns out to be either a police officer with a lengthy record of discipline, who probably should have been pulled off the force before, or it, it turns out to be a young cop, you know, somebody who maybe is presented with these different situations and, and panics. It, it's rarely somebody who's been on the force like this 26 years who's had a, a pretty, very, had a solid sort of career. So, okay, so here's the story. She, she's training people. In this particular police department, the way they do, they, they have their gun and they have their taser. They, the way it is taught is your, your sidearm, your gun is, is holstered on your dominant side. So if you're right-handed, which I think she was, that means your gun is on the right side. Your taser is on, in this case, it would be on your left side, your non-dominant side. Now what frequently happens is the, if you if you're wearing like the taser on the left side, you kind of reverse the holster so it's easier to get it because you're you're reaching across your body. That that's how you get it. The tasers feel very very different than the guns. They're they're light. They're much lighter weight. The handles are longer. In many cases, they're a completely different color. I don't know that that I don't think that was the case here. But in many cases, that I mean the tasers. The, the tasers, you, you could not mix them up for the gun, right? This officer, and by the way, she resigned this afternoon, and um, no, no surprise with that. And I'm sure there are going to be some degree of criminal charges against her. The officer, at least thus far, and she has a lawyer, and so she's not speaking about this, but it, it's, it's a mistake. She says that I had the gun out. I was intending to tase this man as I believed he was getting back in the car to drive away. And then you, you've, you've probably heard the tape. She says, oh, blank, I, I shot him. All right. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I, I guess and this is sort of an open-ended conversation. I believe it was a mistake. I, I don't by that. I mean, I don't believe she intended to execute the guy. I, I, I don't I don't accept that. At the same time, I don't understand how a mistake like this can happen. The, the difference, I think any experienced police officer will tell you that there's the difference. You, you know the difference in your hand between your gun and the taser. In addition, it appears to me that you can see her with with the gun in her hand. It's not like she just pulled it out and fired it. She She's holding it in her hand for at least a, a period of time. How you could not have realized that you had your gun instead of your taser is, is just absolutely beyond me. And all I can think of is may, maybe it was a sense of panic. Maybe she got caught up in, in the emotion of the moment and, and didn't realize what was going on. But regardless, 
there's no excuse for what happened. And my guess is, appropriately so, that there will be criminal charges. This isn't first-degree murder or anything like that, but my guess is she will be charged criminally. And you know what? I think she probably should be charged criminally. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Believe me, I understand mistakes happen. I understand in the heat of the moment, people are faced with making decisions, and sometimes you look back and you say, okay, this, this is, hindsight is twenty twenty. I fired my shot. That The guy, it, it turned out he had a cell phone in his hand. I thought it was a gun. I mistook the cell phone for a gun. Or I didn't realize it was a water pistol. I thought it was a gun. He pointed at me. I shot. All right. Th- those are things where you say, in hindsight, if I'd known it was a water pistol, I would not have shot. In this particular situation, though, on so many different levels, I think that the police officer, I think she was wrong. And, and yeah, I think there needs to be criminal accountability, not murder. But my guess is, and I'm not familiar with all the different laws that you have in Minnesota, but my guess is that some form of manslaughter, you're going to get these charges issued. And you know what? They, they should, because she unjustifiably shot and killed a 20-year-old man. 855-616-1620. That's the um, Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you do with the officer? She's now resigned. There will undoubtedly be big-time civil lawsuits against the, the city. I mean, I saw the parents of the young man on Good Morning America today. They, they already, they've hired the, the lawyer. He's got the same lawyer that um, George Floyd's family has, and he, you know, he was on TV with them. But the question is, okay, do you hold the officer accountable? And my answer is yes, you, you, you have to. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Tanks Line. I don't know that this, I don't believe that this was intentional in that she intended to kill him, unless there's a lot more evidence. But um, clearly, he's dead because of something that she did, which was unjustified. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Everyone 16 and older is now eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine. Do you have questions about the vaccine, about getting back to work or opening schools? Please join John McCure on Tuesday, April 27th, for a special WTMJ roundtable, Vax Facts 2. John will be joined by Dr. Ben Weston, a leading health official in Milwaukee County, to help answer your questions about the vaccine. Want to hear your questions on the air? Well, give us a call at 414-203-8105. That's a different number. 414-203-8105. 414-203-8105. And don't forget to join us at 4 o'clock on Tuesday, April 27th, for a special WTMJ roundtable, Vax Facts 2, on News Radio 620 WTMJ, presented by Dave Drake Camp Heating. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't, for the life of me, understand how what happened to Dante White could have happened. Dante White could have happened to him. It, it just officers, first of all, if, if you've ever had a taser in your hand, a taser feels nothing like a handgun. Your The officers are taught that your handgun is on your dominant side. In this case, I think for the officer, it was a right-hand side. Your taser is on your left-hand side. So you're, you're taught that. This I, it just it makes no sense to me that you can make an error of this nature, especially since, at least it's my sense from the video, that the 
that the officer, uh, Potter, who's now res- resigned, that you know, she, she had the gun in her hand for a while. It's not like she just pulled it out and, and started firing. It wasn't a quick draw thing. She was walking around. She had the gun out. How could you not have recognized or realized that you had a gun? Jeff, sometimes when you do a job for a long time, you're thinking ahead and do things automatically. For example, you occasionally disconnect a caller mid-sentence and say, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to hang up or disconnect. That's what happened. Kim Potter did didn't mean to hang up, didn't mean to, to have to have the gun in her hand. But, I, okay, may, maybe she's on automatic. Maybe it's that case. But if you're the police officer, you, you can't you, you, you can't do that. You, you, you have to. And, and, you know, I was trying to do some research before the show this morning and today, and I was wondering, does this happen often? And, and the answer is no, it, it doesn't. It, it happens Occasionally, it's not to say that there's never been a situation like this, but pretty much, it's pretty much guaranteed that it is. It's extremely rare that this would happen because, again, t- tasers look and feel completely different than than what a regular firearm would feel like. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. What do you think? Well, it's, it's difficult. Um, I agree with you that I don't think there was any malice involved with this. I don't think there was any intent. Um, it's hard for me to imagine how that could happen. But, I mean, I'm not a police officer. So, as you said, in the heat of the moment, mistakes get made. And I didn't. I was curious about the same thing, whether it had happened before. Um, Rarely. I, would, I mean, it, it has I happened, but almost never. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, it seems very odd. I've never heard of it before. Um, I... I would assume she has to face some charges. I just don't know what because um, it was, you know, the, the person was resisting, so it wasn't like she just pulled it out out of nowhere and grabbed the wrong thing. It was obviously a stressful situation. I really don't know, you know, I, I, there'll be some charges. I just don't know what. Do you think she should go to jail? No, I don't. I don't think she should go to jail. Um, I just, cause, I guess, and I don't know enough about the law probably, but, to me, when there's no malice and no intent, I mean, that takes a lot of the onus. The person made a mm-hmm. mistake, and they should be held responsible for that mistake. But without malice or intent, I just don't think it's, it's, it's criminal as, you know, yeah. something that was thought about. Right. Well, thanks. I mean, again, I, I'm not familiar with all the different the different degrees uh, of taking a human life in, in, in Minneapolis. I mean, this, my guess is this is going to turn out to be something along the lines of what I would call like an involuntary manslaughter, a, a homicide by a reckless use of a, of a firearm, something, something like that. Um, I, I pulled up a story while we were just talking, Mike. Um, here, New York Times today, while not common, officers have mistaken pistols for tasers. Um, while not common, instances of police officers accidentally firing a pistol when they meant to draw their tasers, as happened uh, on Sunday, is not it's not entirely unusual. 2018, a rookie Kansas police officer mistakenly shot a man while fighting with a fellow officer. In 2019, a police officer in Pennsylvania shouted taser before shooting an unarmed man in the torso. In 2015, a former Oklahoma reserve deputy killed an unarmed man when he accidentally grabbed his handgun. So that's a handful of instances. They say, um, they found an article that said between 2001 and 2009, they had found nine instances um, in, in that 10-year period. So, I mean, it's does it happen? Yeah, it happens. But it is extremely unusual when you consider 
if, if you've got nine instances between 2001 and 2009, which is just when the study was done, I mean, think of all the thousands, the hundreds of thousands of times across the country that a taser is deployed. And, and yes, d- does it happen? Yes, does it happen maybe more frequently than the one in 6.8 million uh, reaction to the vaccine that we were talking about earlier? But, but yeah, it, it happens. But I don't think it, it changes the justification and changes the outcome. Jeff, I think she's an incompetent police officer that should be officially fired, not allowed to quit, um, police cannot be making this type of error. Um, yes, Jeff, I think uh, this would qualify as reckless homicide in Minnesota, and I think it would justify prison time. That's from Dick in Grafton. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. The Minneapolis officer yelled taser at least four times before shooting. Shouldn't she have had the presence of mind to distinguish which weapon she had with 26 years of police experience? My goodness, she's training officers how to use their tasers. Unbelievable. And I don't, by the way, I don't disagree with anything, you know, like that. Jeff, I agree she should be held accountable, but you should also argue that he died because of what he did. Um, uh, that is, he was fighting with the police in the first place. It never ends well. Well, to me, let me just, there, there's, there's two different things. We don't have the death penalty for resisting arrest. And that, that's, yes, the, the young man shouldn't have tried to get back into his car. That, that's, I, I think, if, if there's a valid arrest warrant for him, he should have complied. Yeah, but that, but that doesn't mean that what happens after that is, in fact, justified. If this was a situation of her deploying the taser, well, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But clearly she made a, a huge error, and that error resulted in him, um, you know, in him dying. And, and there has to be a degree of accountability. Now, a number of people are making the point that, you know, most of these highly publicized police shootings have the same thing in common. That is that the, the person who gets shot doesn't comply with the police. And and I understand where that thinking comes from. But please understand, at least in my mind, there, there's, there's two different issues that are there. One is, should you, regardless of who you are, you know, should you comply with the police? And I'm the guy that says, yes, you, you should always do that. Resisting arrest, copping an attitude, you almost always make matters worse. And as I always say, if the police are wrong, and by the way, police are wrong on occasions. Maybe they don't have a justification for the stop. Maybe there's a mix-up and they're making the wrong, they're arresting the wrong person. There's a mix-up on the warrant. If, if you comply, there's always going to be an opportunity to set these matters correct. You get yourself a lawyer. You get down to the station, whatever. You clear the whole thing up. Um, maybe if, if your rights are violated, you hire a lawyer, you sue. All those things are there. When you resist arrest and escalate the situation, it almost never works out well. And so that's why I always say that, you know, pe- people should comply. Don't cop an attitude. Just, you know, do what the officer says, and then, you know, it can sort out later on. Now, I understand that in some situations – that, that's easier said than done. And I understand that in some communities there is this perception that the police are not there to protect and serve. But the advice is still the same. Escalating matters never, ever, ever makes things worse. That doesn't, however, justify what happened here. And I think, um, I think criminal charges are going to be warranted. And I won't be surprised if there is some prison time that is attached with this taking of the life. Okay, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So much that you think I'm being a little bit overly aggressive with some of my plans for tomorrow? I do. <laughs> I do. Okay, so here, here's the deal. There is, there's an early Brewers game, so at Miller Park, so I, I have no show. Our, our coverage starts mm-hmm. at, at noon. So what I always try to do is, when, when you have a day off like that, especially in the middle of the week, I, I try to like schedule different appointments and things like that. So um, I, I'm, I'm getting, I'm having some dental work done. I'm having a, a crown put in, and it's first step the first step of that, so I made an appointment a while back, 7.30 in the morning, going to be with my dentist. Going to go see Paul, get up the crown early. put in. Yeah, uh, well, right, right. Might as, might as well. Get well, it see, started. Well, see, actually, I had scheduled that before I realized there was a Brewers game. So what I do is I go in early in the morning. You get it done, so they give you the Novocaine, and it wears off, mm-hmm. so you can do the show. So this is this is the first step of getting the crown put in where they drill and do things like that. But uh, that's okay. So got that. Well, I had an opportunity to get my my first shot, my first vaccine, three weeks ago. And so it just so happens that tomorrow is three weeks. So I've got an appointment at around 1 o'clock to get the the second dose of the vaccine. So I get the crown in the morning, that. And then I've got an appointment with my chiropractor about 4.15. <laughs> I was like, so, we're not done yet. <laughs> we've got about, and, and mixed in with that, we've got the groomer coming over to groom Sasha at 2.30. So I, I'm... And I'm not sure where my wife is going to be, but I, I might. My plan is to get the vaccine, get home, be there when the, the groomer actually comes to our place. She's got a mobile thing, and and get Sasha at least started before I have to go to the chiropractor. Oh you, my god! You think that's a little ambitious? I think that's a lot, but I think you're packing it all in in one day, so that's nice. You it, can check it all off. It, it is, done. and and I did alert station management that I, I had no bad reaction at all to the first dose of vaccine, but in the event that. I'm not feeling well on Thursday. We should have like a, a backup plan. Well, I think you have a great plan uh, getting the vaccine, then going to the chiropractor because getting <laughs> the adjustment helps your immune system to work as oh. properly as possible. I don't know if you knew that. And I didn't. Okay. Yes, well, yeah. I've learned that. Mm-hmm. But that means there, there, I mean, I'm planning to be here Thursday, but there's always a, a chance that I'm, I'm not, which means you and I are going to be self indulgent for a moment because Thursday, is the last day for our program director Brad Lane. Yes. He is um We're sad about that. We we are He's been very, great. He, mm-hmm. a- absolutely. I've been here Okay, I've been here since the summer of 1998. <laughs> so it's it'll be 23 years and I, I try to count how many program directors <laughs> that yeah. I had o- over over the years and yeah, there's there's been several, mm-hmm. but but Brad's been with us for like two and a half years. He came to us from Minneapolis and has just done an outstanding job, and he's going back to be the program director at WCCO. I mean, M- Minneapolis is where he's from. It's where he he's been commuting back and forth. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. I mean, just uh, he's he's kind of my hero in that regard, and he, he's going back to be the program director at WCCO, which is a heritage radio station in Minneapolis, like we are a heritage radio station here. So he'll be going to a good home. And I have to admit, I never heard him complain once about traveling that far. So, right. you know, His I family mean, has really, stayed in Minneapolis for yeah. a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. And so he, on Monday mornings or Sunday night, he would drive down yeah. here and then drive back on Thursday night or Friday afternoon. And um, it, it's just, it's he's he's been amazing. And actually, I... I, I all, all my different program directors. I've gotten along with everybody, and um, but but Brad, who did his own radio show for a long time before he got into management, he did what I do, and it's all. It's been very very interesting to interact with somebody who 
understands what it's like to do a, a three-hour radio show He's on, been on, on both sides right on, on a daily basis mm-hmm. so when they give you a feedback they it, it's not just something from a textbook or a cookie cutter the other thing I think Brad's been so outstanding with is recognizing that the way you all, all on-air talent is different mm-hmm. and the the way you coach your work with me I was just going to say is that. different than it's the way you coach your yeah. work with you and or the way really yeah. you know bent and sort of molded to whatever you needed as a person when it came to coaching shows coaching individuals and yeah he's been much more than just a, a, a normal program director I think you'd agree with that oh, oh absolutely and and I just I, I am I am thrilled and I, I mean this sincerely that's what I told him and I want to I said this. You know, off the air, and I want to say it publicly in the event that I'm I'm planning to be here Thursday, which is the last day. But I, I just I um we we have people WTMJ as a heritage radio station. People are you invite us to be part of your lives, and I, I've I've always taken that to be very serious, very seriously. And there, there's some of us who are on the microphone, and we come into the people's homes and things like that. But there are a lot of people behind the scenes that that make our lives a lot easier or make us better or whatever. And, and Brad Lane is one of those guys, and he's a good person. I wish nothing but the best of it. I don't mean to talk about him in the past tense. I, I'm sure he's going to go on <laughs> he's to He's probably have, in his office right, right yeah, now well, listening but, to us. But, well, that, well, I, well I, yeah, pro- probably. You know, he'll come in and offer some input or whatever. <laughs> but I, I, have, I have enjoyed the experience, and I know you have as well, mm-hmm. and I know he's very, very well respected on the staff, and um, we wish him nothing but the best. But at the same time, we're very sorry to see him we are. I mean, you know, finding and replacing someone that is so liked and has contributed so much to this station, that's hard to find. You know, you got to dig a little bit deeper, but hopefully we can find someone that, you know, has done just as much, maybe more. Uh, moving forward. Oh, no, I think Brad is irreplaceable. I, I, <laughs> what, what? I, I, no, you I, know what I'm saying. I, I'm hopeful that there's another I, person out there that can fit his, fill his shoes and abso- we'll go from there. Absolutely. But I, I did want to take a moment, and I, I know you feel the same way, and mm-hmm. I just wanted to say that uh, uh, we, we certainly wish Brad the very best, and thank you for a, a wonderful couple years. And now what's the, what is the thing we well, say around I, here? Onward. Yeah. Onward, and I, I'm really excited that um, I know he said it was a tough decision, but I, I, I'm excited for him to be closer to his family, too. I think that's wonderful. Oh, ab- mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And as we always talk about, I mean, life is short and the different, I mean, the, the commuting, working in different cities. got That's hard to do. You know, got to yeah. be tough. Well, we, you know, and a number of people have, around here have, have done that. I mean, back under previous ownership, um, our general manager and vice president, Steve Wexler, who's a great guy, too. Steve was commuting back and forth to Cincinnati on a regular basis. I mean, it's just... It, it's it's tough, and so mm-hmm. it it you know puts it in perspective for some of us who complain. Oh, gonna, this is going to add ten minutes to my commute or whatever. You know, it it, it helps you put <laughs> or it in my perspective. one mile drive to work. <laughs> there you go, there yeah. you go. So yeah. we want to wish Brad the very yes. best. Thank okay, you, Brad. Yes. When we come back, of course you should pay up. I'll explain. Anniswealth.com. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Of course they should pay the money back. Now, after COVID hit, we had the pandemic, you had all sorts of people who lost their jobs. And remember, we've talked a lot about the the push to get people unemployment compensation and and the huge problems the Evers administration had in, in getting people unemployment compensation paid in a timely fashion. Well, all right, there is now a flip side to that 
which is what about the people who have been paid unemployment money through unemployment that they were not arguably entitled to? Now, I think there's two different things here, and I've, I've talked about at least one aspect of this before. In some cases, there were minor mistakes made by the people at the Department of Workforce Development in calculating the amount of unemployment compensation that somebody should receive. So maybe, let's say you're supposed to get a check for $350 and they miscalculate it, you get a check for $380. But it's not your mistake. You filled out everything correctly, you put this in, it's a mistake that the the people processing it have made. In those situations where there's no evidence that you tried to defraud anybody, there's no evidence that the claimant made the mistake, it was completely on the mistake that was completely made by the the state processing this, I think you can make a claim, or at least a strong argument, that the person shouldn't, shouldn't have to pay the money back. That if it's a legitimate mistake, and all of a sudden you say, "Hey, we should have been paying you 380 instead of 350, and we want a thousand dollars back," I think that's one where maybe the state should eat it. That is not the other situation. There are, and they are now finding out, and this is no surprise, that there are many, many, many people who got money, and now that they're going back and they're looking at it, the state is making the determination that it appears that people who who got some money weren't entitled to the money. I'm not talking about somebody made a calculation error and you got $25 more. I'm talking about that the underlying claim is not legitimate. For example, one of the stories I'm looking at is talking about a a woman who had filed a a claim. She worked part-time driving a, a van and she ended up, you know, getting laid off. Okay, fine. So what happens is the school She's laid off for a couple months. She files for unemployment. Okay, fine. She's, she's entitled to that. In July, like three months later or four months later, the school reopens. And they say to the lady, okay, we, we want to bring you back. Now, we want you to do a different job, but we want you to, we want to bring you back. And she, she declined. She says, no, I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to come back. I, I don't want to do the work. All right. Well, she continued to get unemployment compensation. And what happens is, you know, under the rules, again, in theory, you know, you, if, you're, if you're told to come back to work and you, you choose not to, well, that's when your unemployment compensation, you know, ends. You, you can't pick and choose. So it's situations like that. And now what the state is doing is the state is going back and they're, they're sorting through these different claims and they're finding that there were people who were, were paid – when they should not have been paid. Again, I'm not talking about a, a, an addition error or this was calculated $20 too much. I'm talking about people who made claims that it's now, at least in the position of the state, they're not entitled to, that they should have been denied. Their claim should have been denied or that they should have been cut off at a certain point and they continued to collect you know, unemployment compensation for months more. Now the state is going back and they're asking for money. In the case of the woman that I'm talking about, they're asking for 13500 bucks or, or so. Um, it is a small number overall of people that have been overpaid. But nevertheless, they, they've gotten money that they were not entitled to. And now there's this huge battle going on about whether or not, even in a pandemic, people who've been paid money through unemployment that they weren't entitled to should have to pay it back. And, and I guess my answer to this is is easy. Well, the answer is yes. I mean, if you 
If you file a claim, you get the money, fine, we want to get you the money as quickly as you can, but then it's ultimately determined that your claim is invalid or your claim continued beyond when it should last or whatever that you're not entitled to, of course you should pay the money back. Am I missing something? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there any suggestion, is there any reason at all why somebody who's got money that they are otherwise not entitled to should simply be allowed to, to keep it? And if you don't collect it, if you don't get it back, you know, what are you saying about the system? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I have no problem with trying to pay people money as quickly as you can possibly, get the people, get money in people's hands as quickly as it possibly can. I, I get it. But if it turns out that there are people who have wrongfully received money, yeah, I, I, they gotta, they gotta be accountable for it, don't they? We discuss. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. And just to give you some perspective, in 2020, the state of Wisconsin estimates that it paid about $4.8 B as in billion dollars in benefits. The state estimates $66 million of that were, were in overpayments. $66 million. I mean, that's that's not chump change. And again, I, I think you can make an argument for, for clerical errors and miscalculations. That's one thing. But if you had people who were collecting money that it now turns out that they weren't entitled to for whatever reason, hey, you, you should have gone back to work or whatever, and instead you collected an extra ten grand in benefits that you weren't entitled to, if that's ultimately the determination, and people always have the chance to fight it or whatever, but yeah, I, I think you should have to pay it back. Chuck in Manitowoc. Hi, Chuck. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Good. What do you think? Uh, to- totally agree with you. Money should be paid back. But like, as I told your screener, there's one bit of information that's not that you didn't talk about. The way I understand the unemployment laws, and I was always told to me, was that you can legally turn down going back to work or to a different job if it's, a per- I forget what the percentage is, if it's less than what you're making now. I mean, that, the job that you got laid off from, yeah. if, it's, if it's like 20% or 25% less than what you were making, you can legally turn down the job. It's still drawing a point. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm, think, I guess I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the big picture. And I understand that that was the example I gave, which was the example I have out of a story. I, I the you, you always you always have the, the right to fight. If you feel the state is wrong when they say you were overpaid. Well, by, by all means, you know, fight it. You know, have to have that determination. I guess my, my, the bigger picture, the point is, though, if, if you're not entitled to the money, I think that you, you have an obligation to pay it back. I, I don't think you can, and, and even if you didn't intentionally decide to defraud or try to commit a crime and defraud people, if you're not entitled to it, I think you gotta pay it back. And, and if you wanna argue that you were literally entitled to it, well that's of course, a, that's, that's a whole different story, and you, you fight it and then you see where you go. But if you lose, you gotta pay it back, don't you? Sandra in Milwaukee. Hi Sandra, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, mine was pretty much the same issue as what the man ahead of me said. Mine was based on the physical ability to do the job. Right. The thing that you showed was a truck, was a bus driver, and maybe she was offered a job to clean toilets and physically couldn't do it. Then she had a right to say, no, I can't do it. So you can't put someone in a job that they're not physically able to do. 
and we don't know what the circumstances were of what they offered her a job to do. Right. Let's talk about, in principle, though, let, let us assume that you have somebody who is continuing to collect benefits that they were otherwise unentitled, not entitled for. Do you think it's reasonable to have them pay the, back the money? If indeed they have returned down a job that they could do, yes. Right. But I think that's a determination that would have to be determined by both the person applying for the job and the unemployment board, not just ultimately saying, well, she should have taken the job. You don't know what the job was about. Right. Again, and again, Sandra, I'm, I, I'm trying to, I was using that as the example. Um, the, the state, and I mean, the state says $66 million in, in overpayments. I'm trying to kind of talk about the big picture as opposed to, you know, any individual example, just that there's a lot of people out there who've gotten money that the state says that they are not otherwise entitled to. If you're somebody who got money that you're not entitled to, and again, if you want to, if you want to argue that, hey, I, I didn't have to go back to work, I didn't have to take this job, uh, th- that's fine. And again, you, there, there's a hearing process to go through that. But if it's determined that you didn't get the money legitimately, I think it's fair to say you got to pay it back. And in some cases, you're probably going to be talking about a significant chunk of change. Now, what what is what what might be a fair point is that with the state, if you're determined, just like with the IRS, if it's determined that you owe money, you know, there, there's interest, there's penalties, there's all sorts of things with that. For some of the people who, as it turns out, have wrong, un, un, have accepted unemployment benefits that they're not entitled to and, and might owe a bunch of money, like five figures worth of money. All right. If you want to start talking about maybe given it's a pandemic and they're assuming that there's no you know, ill intent here. Do you want to figure out ways that maybe you can let them pay it back without like hitting them with the penalties or something like that? I think you have to be open to that, but do you have to pay it back? I think, of course. All right, when we come back, speaking of takes, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.